we're going to take a continuing look at John's Gospel and the introduction of Jesus Christ. I know it seems like we just keep rolling back into this theme, but really throughout most of chapter 1, that's what John is doing. The Apostle John is introducing Jesus Christ. He's introducing Christ to anyone and everyone who will read his writing and read his work. Because John understood how important it was for us to know him. For us to know his purpose. And for us to hear from him and others as witnesses what Jesus Christ accomplished in their presence. Because it is by hearing the words of a witness, as we have heard before, by hearing the words of a witness, we can establish the truth. And that's who Jesus Christ was. He was the truth. He is the truth today. He is the truth that can change lives. He is the truth that can make a difference in hearts and lives. He is the truth of God's word and God's work in humanity and through humanity. It is only through Jesus Christ that we will see change. We hear a lot about change. Politicians talk a lot about change. Preachers talk a lot about change. And pastors talk a lot about change. There's one thing that often gets missed. And that is where that change will come from. Change is not you and I turning over a new leaf. Change is not you and I just making a decision to stop doing something or start doing something. Change takes place in the heart. And Jesus Christ can change the heart and affect change. So today, beginning with verse 9, let's go back and let's continue to look at John's introduction of Jesus. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. May God add blessing to the reading of his word today. Have you given any thought about the many ways that Jesus has revealed himself to mankind? I mean, really think about that. When we think about Jesus, we think about what we read in the Bible. We think about the red words, the red letters. And we think about everything that was talked about in the Old Testament and everything that will be coming about in the New as far as our prophecy goes. But how many other ways, how many different ways has Jesus made himself revealed? Well, first of all, there is the creation of the physical planets. The atmosphere, the moon, the stars, everything, everything up there in our universe. Then there are plants and trees. We look around everything that's been created in the, uh, in the forest and, and all of the herbs that are created for medicines and, and everything like that that has taken place. It's been created of God or of through Christ. Then there are the animals. 
all of the animals that were made. They go all the way back to the beginning in the first verse of Genesis, in the beginning. And those animals then were created there in the presence of Adam and Adam named them. And then we know the story of Noah's ark where they were saved on the ark and then those they were used to replenish the earth again. Those were and are products and parts of God's creation. And probably the most recognizable one that we know Jesus being revealed to us is what we've already talked about through the Bible. The entire Bible, not just parts and pieces, but the entire Bible was written to reveal Jesus Christ to everyone who reads it. Everything that is written points to Jesus Christ. All of the battles that were fought in the Bible point to Christ. All of the times that God turned his people, Israel, over to captivity as punishment for disobedience points to Christ. All of the prophecy that's in Scripture points to Christ. Everything, everything that is written in the Scriptures is written there to point people to Jesus Christ. Through salvation, there is the witness and the testimony from those who have experienced Him. And from that, we know that salvation is the most powerful revelation of Jesus Christ. The most powerful generation that our generation or any generation could possibly have. Today, with everything going on in the world around us, all of the contention, all of the arguing, all of the violence, all of the misunderstanding. Everything that's taking place, regardless of whether it is in our community, our county, our state, our nation, or worldwide, all of it can be avoided or can be settled if we look to Jesus Christ. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. It is through people coming to a saving knowledge of Him that we will see problems taken care of. We will see lives changed. If you and I want our lives changed, we need to look to Christ. Now, I'm not trying to say counselors or psychologists or substance abuse counselors or medications or any of those things. I'm not trying to say we need to ignore those. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that first and foremost, change will take place and must take place through Christ. Because if our heart is not changed through repentance and through redemption, all of that other stuff will be just temporary. It will be nothing more than turning over a leaf. Well, what happens when we get tired of living that life, of living that side of the leaf, we want to turn it back over again. And we're right back where we started from. Through Jesus, through salvation, through the revelation of Christ in our lives and in the lives of those around us, we will see a change where our want to gets changed. Think about that. Our want to. We no longer will want to visit the places that get us into trouble. Whether it be the bars and the nightclubs, whether uh, whether it be other places and other people and other circumstances, we'll no longer want to visit those places. 
we'll no longer want to be involved in the things that got us into trouble and got us into problems to begin with. Our want to. We will want to be in worship because of Christ. This morning, I'm sad to say that there are churches that are packed full of people and in some of them, anyway, those folks are there because they feel like they have to be. Those folks are attending because they feel like it's what they should do to be seen in the community or in their family or in, in other areas. And I have to report to you this morning that those people who are there for that reason are there for the wrong reason. And their, their, their presence, if the message is preached properly, will be touched by the message and their heart will be touched But whether they make a change, whether they accept Christ, whether they let Jesus have his way in their life is between him and God. Those others who are there because they want to worship God because their lives have been changed because Christ has been revealed to them and they have accepted him, those folks are going to walk away satisfied in being in the presence of Jesus and hearing his word and growing in that relationship. Now that's what I want to encourage in the preaching of God's word is your relationship with Christ. It begins with salvation, but it doesn't end there. A lot of folks think that when they become saved, that is where things end. They have reached the end. All they have to do is wait out life on this side of eternity wait until they die, wait until the Lord comes back and then they go into heaven for eternity and salvation is the end. No, salvation is the beginning. Jesus is the beginning of a new life. Jesus is the beginning of a new hope, of a new future. Jesus is the beginning of everything that can possibly go right in our life. We can truthfully say Jesus is revealed through anything and everything that he chooses to work through. So from God's word this week, we see that regardless of how Jesus chooses to be revealed, he is always revealed as the light of the world. It is through him that darkness into our lives and darkness into our sin And we make no mistake this morning, we all have sin. But it is Jesus who shines a light through that sin and shows us where he is and reveals himself to us. First this morning, the Apostle John reveals Jesus as the light. We see that in our passage. The word was in your text. Verse 9, that was the true light. The word was is a key word to realize in what John is telling us. Was is a past tense verb given in the imperfect. Now what does all of that mean? It means that it has not been completed yet. In other words, Jesus didn't just show up and be a light in the presence of John. Jesus showed up and he became light on earth in the presence of all mankind. 
And that's where he is today. In light of all of the controversy, in light of all of the mishaps, in light of all of the mess that's going on in the world, Jesus is there as the light. And you know what? He shines through and is reflected through your life and my life as Christians. Now that's something, that's something that, that, that ought to really perk you up this morning. That's something that ought to really make you set up. Yes, you're important enough to God that He will use you to reflect the light of His Son. That's important. That's exactly how God feels about you as His Christian, as His child today. Just like John the Baptist, remember our last message in this series? Just like John the Baptist was a light that was reflecting Christ into the world around him. Uh, I gave you the illustration of the moon and how the moon was a, uh, uh, what was an illustration of that? The moon doesn't shine by itself. But if you go out on a full moon, oh, it lights up the night sky and it even reflects on the ground and you can even in some instances see your shadow in the brightness of the moon. But the moon itself doesn't put off any light. It is merely a reflection of the sun. That is the picture of a Christian. We are the reflection of Jesus Christ. Shining that light out into the world. When John used that, used the little word was, or the Greek word that we translated into was, he was saying that about Christ. Not just in his day, not just in the first century, but even in the 21st century. We can say today that Jesus was the light of the world and he continues to be the light of the world. When we consider next that Jesus being rejected by some as the light, verses 10 and 11, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came into his own and his own received him not. He was rejected by all of his creation or part of his creation. The world knew him not. Now, when the world is used there, it doesn't speak of land and rivers and oceans and plants and animals and those things like that. It speaks of people. People rejected him. Those who did not know him, those who did not want to know him, they rejected him. And it was easy to see that when we read the story of his crucifixion. When we look at everything that Christ done, every time Christ was feeding people, there was a multitude. Every time Christ was healing people, there was a multitude. Every time Christ was doing something around and with people with his miracles. There was a multitude. But in the end, when Christ was standing there before Pilate and before the Sanhedrin being judged of crimes that he did not commit, no one was standing up and saying, free him, free him. Everyone was pointing to him saying, crucify him. Because they did not know him personally. 
the handful that did, many of them had been scattered and scared away. There was one, John the Apostle, who wrote this epistle. John was there with Jesus' mother Mary and was present during the whole thing, the whole ordeal. When we read about Jesus being rejected, and we look around us today, we see Jesus being rejected in many areas. All we have to do is watch the news, and we're going to see rejection of Jesus. All you have to do is turn on your telephone or your iPad or some of your computer and get on Facebook, and you're going to see the rejection of Jesus. If we reject His Word, our Bible, we reject Jesus. If we reject the work that He is doing in our lives and through our lives, we reject Jesus. If we reject the purpose that He came for, which was to save man's soul and bring us into a relationship with God through Him, we reject Jesus. The rejection of Jesus is everywhere today. It's no worse than it was in the first century, but it's no better than it was in the first century either. The rejection of Jesus is a worldwide thing and it carries itself on and on and on throughout time. And you know what? There's going to always be people that will be getting saved and will be coming to Christ, but there's going to always be people who are going to be rejecting Him as well. From now up to the point of the rapture of the church and beyond through the tribulation period and even at the end of the great millennium after the devil has been trapped and been in chains the Bible says he will be loosed for a little while and when he is loosed for a little while he is going to stir up a rebellion of people who reject Jesus to come against him at the final battle of Armageddon. So even during the thousand year reign of Christ, even though people will be following Christ because of what he says and why he says it, in their heart they will be rejecting him. Rejection will always be a part of life. Rejection of Christ will always be a part of life. For the Christian today, because we know Jesus and we will stand for Jesus and we will make ourselves known of Christ, we will be rejected and we will suffer because of the rejection of Christ. That's part of being a Christian. There are people today who want to tell us that if we will follow Christ, everything will be pie in the sky. It will be health and wealth. There will be no problems. Everything we desire will be handed to us. That's not in the Bible. That isn't in the Bible. To walk with Christ, to stand with Christ, there will be rejection. We need to be prepared for it. But we need to be able to stand true through it as well. Because it is not by our strength that we can stand against it. It is by the strength of God that is within us through Christ. It is His strength that will enable us to withstand it. It is His glory that by withstanding the rejection that comes against Christ, it glorifies God. The apostles of the first century, all of them except John, died 
of persecution. They were executed. Eleven of those twelve men were all executed. Some of the women, which reminds me at some point, I want to get into and bring here and give you a study of the women of the Bible. I think that might be a big encouragement to you. Some of them were actually executed through persecution because of their stand for Christ. It is something that we have to expect. Today, we can be thankful that in or here in America, there is no executions going on for Christianity. There are in other countries. India has churches being raided every week and Christian congregations killed because of their, their belief. And they still continue to meet every Sunday. In the Philippines, there are churches that are killed completely every week because of government troops charging in and killing everyone. But every week, the churches meet in the Philippines. In Pakistan and Afghanistan and in some of those places, there are Christians that are executed every week because of what they believe. But the Christians keep meeting. I don't know if you have seen it, but recently a young Pakistani woman, a mother, was just released from Pakistan and made her way into Canada. Her name was Asiya Bibi. I've been following her since about 2014, 2013, 2014. She converted from Muslim, from Islam, into Christianity. She got saved, which was a crime in her country of Pakistan. She became, she got arrested and she was tried and convicted by, of, of crimes against Islam and she was sentenced to death. The Christian community stood up and went out and we sent Ambassador Franklin Graham went there himself pleading and trying to negotiate her release and some type of a compromise in the sentence and the government would say no. As it turned out over time with Christians praying, God's grace moved by the leaders of that country and because of the nation, the worldwide influence and the worldwide uh, uh, spreading of what was going on over there, they decided that it would not be in their best interest to execute this woman, so they exiled her. And Canada picked her up. She now lives in Canada. Her husband and her children are still in Pakistan. And she is trying to find a way to bring them into Canada as well so they can be reunited right now. The rejection of Christ. That woman done nothing wrong. That woman committed no crime. She chose Jesus. But here is her testimony. Her testimony is that she never rejected Christ. She was told over and over and over again by the Pakistani government, if you will reject Christ and come back to Islam, we'll let it all go. She said no every time. Even in the face 
of death? She said no. What will we do if we find ourselves faced with, with being convicted of rejecting Christ? If we say, if we're told to reject Christ or else, like this woman was, what will we do? How will we handle it? It's something we need to think about. Because when we really put ourselves in that spot and in that situation, we find ourselves in a place where our witness and our testimony comes forward. Not what the world is going to think of us. Not what the media is going to think of us. Not what the church is going to think of us. and Not what the family is going to think of us. But what is Jesus going to think of us? If we reject him. If we reject him. It's something we have to take seriously. Do you realize the story of Joseph? I told you earlier that everything in God's word points to Jesus. Do you realize the story of Joseph is a picture of Jesus and rejection? Remember Joseph? He was the son that had the coat of many colors. He was also the son that was most favored by his father. Jesus is the only son of God most favored by his father. Because of that and because of the problems, Joseph was rejected by his brothers, by family, by those who knew him. But yet, he was rejected by them. Jesus had been sent into the world to spread the light of the gospel, the light of salvation. And yet, he was rejected first by the Jews, the very people that had been told for generations before him that he would be coming. They rejected him. And then by the world as a whole. Joseph was rejected by the very people who knew him. And then by the world as a whole. Then Joseph was sold into slavery or captivity to the Egyptians. Jesus, likewise, was sold into captivity by Judas Iscariot for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife. Jesus was wrongly accused by those who had been paid to make allegations against him. Joseph was convicted by lies. Jesus was convicted by lies. Joseph was imprisoned. Christ was crucified. Both were punished because of the convictions that came by those lies. Joseph was released and elevated to a position of authority in Egypt. Christ was resurrected and ascended to God's right hand where he sits today making intercession for those who believe in him and those who accept him and those that have received him. If you're saved this morning and you know you're saved today, Jesus Christ is at God's right hand at this very moment making intercession for you. Even in matters that you may not even realize are going on in your life. 
difficulties, things that we may see as hindrances and holdups, Christ is making an intercession. Let me give you an illustration. Have you ever been going down a road and going down driving somewhere and suddenly you had a flat tire? And it's all goodness. Goodness. Got to get out. Got to change the flat. So you get out of the car. You get the jack. You jack the car up. You take the tire off. You put the other tire on. You change the flat. Then you're going down the road just a little farther. Maybe you run up on an accident. That flat tire could very well have been God's intercession in keeping you out of that accident. Some of the things that are taking place in our lives today are taking place because of Christ's intercession in our lives because of things that we don't see coming down the road. We won't see them for a while. Sometimes in life we may never see them this side of eternity. And I'm convinced of that this morning. That there are things that God and Christ is doing in our lives that we will never realize until we get to heaven. He's just that kind of a loving God for His children. Well, just as there are those who reject Christ, I want to finish this morning by talking about those who receive Jesus as the light of the world. First, those that receive Jesus, they believe in Him this morning. The best is listed last, as I like to say, in verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His Name. Before we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we must believe in Him. Specifically, we must believe on His name. Why His name? Why do I say we must believe on His name? To believe on His name is to believe in what His name signifies. Believing that Jesus can save us from our sin. If we believe on the name of Jesus Christ this morning, we actually believe that He can do what He came to do, which was save us. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, speaking of the birth of Christ, and she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus. What a wonderful name it is. It is a name that we must first believe in. If we believe in that name, then we can receive Him. As many as received Him, that imparts new life. To receive Jesus Christ is to receive life. It is to be born again spiritually and to receive Him and for Him to come and dwell within our hearts. Believing is necessary, but it's not enough. Receiving has to take place. See, he must become a personal Savior. No one becomes saved by Jesus Christ in a group, as a group. Now, 
groups of people can come at one time. As we remember seeing in the Billy Graham Crusades, if you're, if you remember seeing those, where many, sometimes thousands of people would come from the stadium seats and come down and they would come forward. They all came in a group, but each one of them individually had to receive Jesus. That's how great of a Savior He is. He could come into every one of those lives at the same time, yet individually. Amazing. But that is to receive after we believe. And that comes from conviction. What is conviction? Conviction is realizing the consequences of our life. Conviction is typically being preached as a bad thing. A conviction of sin. Conviction of failure. Conviction of fault. And then comes repentance of that. And that's very true. There is also conviction of holiness and conviction of righteousness as well. When you're saved and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're trying to do what is the right thing and you're being led down the right road and you're letting the Holy Spirit lead you, then you will receive conviction from the Holy Spirit that you're doing the right thing. Just like if we're doing the wrong thing, we will receive conviction from the Holy Spirit that we're doing the wrong thing. I like to give an illustration like this. Do you remember? Maybe, maybe some of you can remember this. Back in, back in my day when I was younger, there used to be a cartoon that would go around that would have a, an angel standing on one shoulder and a little devil standing over here on the other shoulder. Well, they would be whispering in the ear of the person. One would be telling them to do something, the devil would be telling them to do something bad, and the angel would be telling them to do the thing that was good. And there was a decision to make. That is a picture that I want you to think about with conviction. You have the Spirit of God standing in one spot telling you, accept, believe in Jesus and receive Him as Lord and Savior. And you have the devil coming to you telling you, you don't have to do that right now. There is always room. There's always time. There is always an opportunity. But you don't have to do it now. John wants us to know that there's no time like the present. It is a supernatural birth. When it says to, we have the power to become the sons of God, it is that decision based on that conviction I just described to you. When you believe that Jesus is who He says He is, and you stand ready to receive Him or reject Him, it is there that you have the power to become the sons of God or the children of God. We all have that opportunity in life. We all have the time and the place where we stand before God Stand before God, believing in Jesus and who He is, and prepared to receive Him. Yet, we have to believe. 
It is not of a human descent that we believe. In other words, it's not something that we gain from grandma and grandpa or mama or daddy. We can be influenced by their testimony and by their life. And I believe a good parent and a good grandparent and those I believe they will have that testimony. But nonetheless, it is your decision personally and my decision personally. Neither is it of human desire. We can't come to Jesus wanting to make a deal. We can't come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'll get saved and I'll accept you and I'll believe in you and I will receive you if you will do this for me. God doesn't negotiate salvation. God provides it freely as a gift. But it is all based on Jesus. And neither is salvation of human design. It is not something that we can conjure up. I'll do it this way. I will do enough good works or I will give enough money or I will help enough people. Salvation isn't designed by you and I. Salvation is given by God through Jesus Christ. And it comes only through His blood and it comes only through His gift. It comes only through His resurrection. It comes only through the work that He done on the cross. And it is through that sacrifice, it is through that moment that we receive Jesus. So this morning when we're looking at John's introduction of Jesus, we see what a powerful person he really was. We see what a loving person he was. We see what a humble person he was. We're going to see all of this about Jesus. But at the same time, we realize if we're going to accept him this morning, we have to accept him as who he is. The true light of the world. So this morning as I close, I want to invite you, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, after the prayer is over, to stay and we'll talk. And if you have accepted Him, and if you've got something that you'd want to discuss, or you've got some questions about life or about Christ, feel free to stay and talk with me about those as well. It's important. It's important. It's not tomorrow that we're talking about here on earth. It is the next moment in eternity that we're talking about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of sharing your word this morning. I thank you for each one of these ladies who have came and who have sat and have heard it. Lord, I thank you for Jesus being the true light into the world. Now, Heavenly Father, as we go about our week, as we close this service, I pray that you would be in the hearts and the lives of each one of these ladies, each of the children that are here. And Heavenly Father, I pray that everything that's said and done throughout this week will lift you up and glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.